Welcome to another week of Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey, I'm Alicia. Hey. Episode 11. It is episode 11. What, we, uh, what what you got? What you got for our listeners? But well, this week uh-huh. we are going to cover the happiest divorces in the history of time. We needed a palate cleanser after last week. Maybe after we last too. week, but before that, a little bit of a little bit of something amazing. Tell us, tell us. Um, so, Patreon listeners, your uh, prize packs got mailed out this week. Be on the lookout for them. One of our very favorite Patreon supporters, Heather, is a grade school teacher in jolly old UK. Yes, and she teaches fourth form third like our third grade okay. equivalent here in the u.s and she solicited some opinions from her students about henry the eighth mm. which are amazing uh-huh uh-huh she sent them to us and i have reached out to our favorite young gentleman across the pond mm-hmm. ethan our friend ethan actually did some some performative readings some performative readings that we are going to hear what heather's students had to think about the huh <laughs> episode that was Henry VIII. Cool. Here we go. It's not often I say this, miss, but I really think he was overreacting. I nearly said that's overkill, but that sounds disrespectful. He did that because she had a boyfriend. Let's be honest, miss. Given what he was like, I can't say I blame her. You know how... They should have known she wasn't a witch because any reasonable person would have turned him into a frog or something. Funny that the verse came more common after him, isn't it, miss? Because those women were definitely better off out. They deserve better. Wasn't that amazing? Totally amazing. Would have turned him into a frog or something. Well, I... Like, really, <laughs> if Anne like Boleyn was a witch... Seems like the most obvious outcome. I would have that found something way better to turn him into. Yeah. Thank you, Ethan. You're the very best. There's a big, fat stack of quid coming your way. Sure. Thank you for being sure. our voice talent for Trashy Divorces. Or perhaps candy, if your mother allows it. We don't know. Yeah. We can cut that. So, thank you, Heather, for the most amazing email ever we were delighted by it. Listeners, we love your email at TrashyDivorces.com. And if you care to give us a little support, Patreon.com at TrashyDivorces will get you there as well. Stacy, you had one other shout out before we get to the episode. I really, really do. Uh, we had the very coolest thing happen for us this week. The, it was pretty um, cool. Slate's The Waves podcast, the feminist podcast that used to be yeah. Double X podcaster uh Kristen Meinzer from by the book was filling in uh with uh Hannah Rosen and anyway it was amazing it was amazing she recommended trashy divorces as her you know recommended like they close with recommendations and uh Kristen picked us and we're so delighted so if you are a listener to that sleep family of podcasts thanks for tuning in and trying us out thank you for the shout out Kristen definitely you rock it was amazing (laughs) thank you thank you so this week, palate cleanser. Palate cleanser. Podcast, almost no tears. <laughs> it was hey, me, y'all. You broke me. that rule yet, not me. I did. No, it was good. After the uh, angst of last week, we decided this week to focus in on kind of happier. Div- I like, got you, babe. Yeah, we. Yeah, I did Sunny and Cher. When does divorce work out for the best? 
I think Sonny and Cher is one case. You had a great one. Andrew and Fergie mm-hmm. is the most amazing love story of all time, and I 100% stand by that. I ah, Happy divorces, y'all. Still trashy. Like, don't get us wrong. There's a little bit of stank lingering around the divorce, but all in all, a much kinder, gentler episode than last week. Yeah, last week was tough. And- no need for hard liquor. No need for boxes of Kleenex. Just a good, fun way to go getting divorced, y'all. Cool. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, cool. Let's do the episode then. 11 is great. Let's do this. Let's do this. Stacy. I'm so ready. Alicia. What have you got this week? Oh, my God. So you seem really amped, and I, I, just, I want you to bring it down. Bring just, it down. Here's what happened. So last week, <sighs> did Ike and Tina Turner, and I felt personally traumatized by oh, the experience. Bad. Very bad. Very, I mean. It was bad. In any case, then I spent, over the weekend, I watched uh, Lorena, the documentary on Amazon Prime about uh, Lorena Bobbitt. That was and felt equally as bad. Again, you know, like, anyway, so. You've had a tough week. There was a lot. There, there's been a lot. I've felt a lot of things. And so this week I opted for something that just, I mean, it's like a warm and fuzzy divorce blanket. Uh, okay. I, I guess. Happiness is a warm divorce. Happiness is a, I got you, babe. I got you, babe. It's sunny and share. I love it. Do it. I mean, will this you love vanilla? it? I don't even know. This story is so. No, this <laughs> week is all about no trauma. So, so. one thing I did, like. Just to give a little sourcing here, I did I did watch the, I think it was a 1989 TV docudrama called uh, And the Beat Goes On, the Sonny and Cher story. How is that? Well, it's funny because it was based on his autobiography, and even in that, they, they portrayed him as some sort of like lightweight, I don't know, it was very strange. He's vanilla. And I suspect that's not quite the case, but all these people like crafted public personas for a long time. Okay. Like everyone we talk about basically has crafted up anyway. So share. We all know share. Nothing all vanilla about her. Love share. Yes, the opposite of vanilla. Yes. I love her. Yes, she is mint chocolate chip. She is Rocky Road. She is anything but vanilla. She's a badass. <laughs> she was born Sherilyn Sarkisian. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. Cher's parents divorced when she was ten months old. Oh wow. Her mother later married an actor, moved to L.A. And changed her own name to Georgia Holt. She began taking bit parts in film and on TV, and she was also scoring bit parts for Cher and her half sister with the actor husband uh, George Ann. Oh, and so as kids, they were like extras on shows like The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. I mean, so Neat. she got yeah. the bug early. So when mom divorced again when Cher was nine, mm. she kind of knew what she wanted out of life at Fame. nine years old. Yeah, yeah, like she'd been in that circle since she was. Very, very little. Does she, she know she can sing yet? Um, I wonder. Yes and no. Okay. Talk I, I think is the. I think she just lacked confidence. She, yes, she knew she could sing. She knew. She also was. She was a very tall. She's still very tall. Oh yeah. She was taller than. Th- she had this striking black hair. Like there was a lot about her that even in high school, like the first day of high school, people still remember it. Because she was so She made that much of an impression. She was also an extrovert and just really, I mean, it it sounds like she, as a, on on a personal level, just had a ton going for her. Wow. Except that um, her childhood got really fucked up because mom kept marrying and divorcing 
and moving them around the country Mm. and would go through periods of abject poverty. And at one point, her mom left Cher at an orphanage for a few weeks. Like her mom visited her every day. But I mean, that is how she didn't have the capability of taking care of her. Yeah. Yeah. That is how insecure portions of Cher's childhood were. When she was about 15, though, mom marries a bank manager and he adopts her and her half sister Nice. And enrolls them in a private high school in Encino, California. And this, again, like in her biography, like fellow students have such a clear memory of her, which is a little unusual because Cher dropped out of high school at 16 and moved 30 minutes down the road to L.A. where she was going to make it big. But apparently when she was in high school, she was always singing, always dancing. She, I don't know, in middle school or something, she organized uh, like Oklahoma or something I, I don't know it was like and none of the boys would participate so she did all their parts because she's always had a weirdly low voice way to go okay um, okay so she and a friend like head off to LA at 16 and she supported herself by dancing in clubs on the Sunset Strip and just introduced herself to everyone she met because she knew that at some point she was going to meet somebody who knew somebody and that was going to be how she became famous. So she's unafraid. Not. Like the worst thing has already happened to her and she's just going to be unafraid and go for it. Yeah, well. I love it. Yes and no, as as we'll see. Uh, so in November of 62, she meets Sonny Bono. Oh, Sonny. Sonny Bono, who worked for superstar record producer Phil Spector. Oh. Who was a force to be reckoned with in this decade. And I'm not sure this made it into the Tina Turner story, but he also... He paid Ike Turner $25,000 to go away and let him work just with Tina on uh, Mountain High River. Really? Deep, yes. Just go away, man. Don't go away mad. This is something that's going to keep coming up, though. Not huh. necessarily from Phil Spector, but f- about controlling men in in women artists' lives. Okay, <laughs> so, I didn't know that Phil Spector... W- okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, Interesting. the wall of sound. He, like, he... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a huge deal uh, in this like early 60s, and I'm sure even later, but anyway. Let's talk about Sonny Bono. He's 11 years older than Cher, and when they met, he was 28, she was 16. Whoa. Yeah. He was born in Detroit to an Italian immigrant dad. He himself had dropped out of high school to pursue his passion for songwriting, and he paid a lot of dues in you know these years in between. Okay. Uh, he was he worked in construction. He was a waiter. He drove a truck. He was a butcher's delivery boy. During the fifties, one of his songs was recorded by Sam Cooke. Uh, he also incidentally had an eight year long marriage that ended in nineteen sixty two, just in time for him to meet Sharon. Oh. And it must have been a bit of a thing. Uh, Sonny was five foot five. Cher was five foot nine. He, again, was 28 and newly divorced, and she was 16 and eager to become a star. Although it's not... He certainly suggests that he did not know she was 16 when they began hanging out. So, you know how it's said that people get dogs that look like them. You've seen the people and the dogs look alike. And then you see couples that you know just go together. Mm -hmm. There's something about their look, their fit, their... That they just belong. Sure. That, that is all. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Wasn't no, sure. like it's it's weird because they just they don't look like they. Well, I think for t- like later in their relationship, I'm pretty sure the TV networks invented 
shoes for Sonny that were because they weren't there wasn't a height disparity on television so much. Oh. It but yes, you're exactly right. Like I pulled up Google images of them and either they're seated or, you know, in some sort of like cuddly sure. posture or she's either kneeling or he's on a stool or something like but I mean it's kind of and I wonder if it's the shared like they both persevere and know they want to have this career that you know drives them to fame so well, maybe I, it's that so I think he I think he pretty much like I think he was enthralled by her because she was young and beautiful sure but then realized like holy shit this person is talented, talented. and I can make her a star like do it. I can do this let's go so Sonny had connections, and so soon Cher was a backup singer for Phil Spector at Gold Star mm. Studios. So, okay, Cher, again, before she was famous, she contributed backing vocals to the Runettes' Be My Baby. What? And the Righteous Brothers' You've Lost That Love and Feeling. You're among kidding. many others, but I mean, those are... This I was had no idea. What a time to be alive, right? Wow. And meanwhile, you know, this is 1962, and so Ike and Tina are, you know, famous and mm-hmm. getting married and building their mansion. And, like, this was a place. I, I mean, Los Angeles, It's of course it was. But seriously, this was a hotbed. It's a, it's a swinging scene. Of some of the, like, the most intensely influential creative strains in the world. right? Like, right in this... Wow you know, five-year period. So anyway, Sonny saw Cher's talent and thought she should be a solo performer. But she was young and she had significant stage fright. So not sure what it is about going to Tijuana to get married. (gasps) What? But in 1964, Sonny and Cher go to Tijuana and they have an unofficial wedding ceremony in a hotel room, which was not apparently legally binding. Oh my God. And, you know, Cher had stage fright, didn't like being on stage alone. So they come back to L.A. and start billing themselves as a husband and wife duo. Oh, my God. So that he is on stage with her to sort of help her along. Yes. So he like he says he didn't have the greatest singing voice and whatever. And that's kind of true from what I've listened to. But (laughs) but I mean, when Cher's next to you, you're not going to compete with that. No, you're just going to set her up to look great. That's and that was that was what he did. It's an easy job. So over the next couple of years, they started to get some traction. They released some songs under the name of Caesar and Cleo. Really? Really. And the the songs weren't (laughs) hits, but Cher's voice was recognized. So she got signed for a solo contract with Mm. Sonny signed as her producer. And let's note that Sonny, as Cher's producer and co-performer and basically business manager would be an ongoing element of her career for the next decade and uh, oh. and and how it all fell apart, basically. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so one cool thing that happened in 1965 was that Cher recorded a cover of Bob Dylan's All I Really Want to Do, and it peaked at number 15 on the Billboard charts. Oh, wow. What year? 1965. Okay. Same year that The Birds happened to have covered the same song. Oh, And oh. soon, like, the two were competing on the charts you're like kidding they were both just out at the same time the birds heard Cher's version and loved it and so instead of trying to compete they told their record label to just start promoting the b-side of that record <laughs> and Roger McGuinn of the birds said we loved the Cher version we didn't want to hassle so we just turned our record over do you know what the b-side was uh, I don't 
This is, I love this story. Go. It, it's a great, and we'll, the you birds know what? are feminists. I will find that out. We'll put it on the website because I've got links to YouTubes of both these versions um, and they're really different. Like, I they're, just wonder if that was one of their hits that them like doing a thing that was perfectly respectable in the music industry, which doesn't happen very often if it turned into post-it note anyway yeah go on i love this story all right so later in 65 caesar and cleo switched to being sunny and Cher and recorded (laughs) monster hit of the century i I got got you babe babe. Mm -hmm. if you don't know this song i strongly recommend you turn this podcast off go and listen to it and then come back it'll be on our website alien overlords what's wrong with them for not telling you about the song so the reason i want you to do that is because I am shortly going to make the argument that Sonny and Cher, who burst onto the scene just ahead of the capital A actual 1960s happening, sure. became a whole cloth antithesis of cool in an era where cool was everywhere. Everything. Wow. So, oh my God. I Got You Babe was released in August 1965 and went to number one on the American, Canadian, and UK charts. Sold more than a million copies. It was uh, it was one of Sonny's compositions, so he made a lot of money on it. Uh, critic William Ruman compared it favorably to Dylan's "It Ain't Me, Babe," while noting that it oh, expressed an opposite and, t- to me, somewhat saccharine uh, sentiment. Rolling Stone has listed it among the 500 greatest songs of all time, so wow. I don't want to like shade it too hard, but also I do. I mean, it's a classic, but it it's you a, know. Okay. It yeah. I mean, when the song hit, Sonny and Cher, who also favored weird costumes as daily wear, toured to England on the advice of the Rolling Stones. The first night there, they were thrown out of the London Hilton because of these <gasps> outfits, and the English press could not have been happier to cover the dispute. Oh my god. So, Londoners who had been living in this sort of like mod I, I don't know there'd been this whole fashion right. to yeah. the musical era so they were just like oh my god look it's something new and so they were sold on bell bottoms fringe ruffles fur vests and bold yet unattractive colors as well as matching outfits that Sonny and Cher were known can to- we say mustard green yes that's yes. exactly it like like I'm all for letting your Orange, freak flag fly but Jesus yes yeah, so, I mean, in fairness, what was happening is that Sonny and Cher were inventing 70s fashion in the 60s. Like, that's that's the generous... Trendsetters. Wait, yes, trendsetters. That's the generous way Avant-garde. to view it. The fact that this was a horrible fashion choice, we'll just disregard that because it, it really caught on. Uh, over the next few years... This is amazing. It's amazing. They landed 10 songs on the top 40 charts in the U.S. They had five top 10 singles... Uh, Cher kept up with her solo career, releasing albums in 66 and 67. Wow. And then something amazing happened. What happens? Though it was late in the decade, at long last, the 1960s fell upon the earth, and titans like The (laughs) Doors, The Who, and Jimi Hendrix roamed the land, launching transgressive vibes and an entire countercultural revolution (sighs) through giant martial stacks and muddy music festivals. It was the era of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. And Sonny and Cher were monogamous, married, Vanilla. didn't do drugs. <laughs> they they did not belong in this. They, well, Sonny did not belong in this. Oh. Cher 
had been 16 in 1962, so now here in 19... She's a little more in the culture. In her early 20s in Los Angeles. She's toured with me, like... Let's get hip to the vibe, yo. She would have been way fine with all of this. Uh, as the as far as the public was concerned, like they just stopped being relevant, and so their music stopped hitting the charts. Their record label Atco dropped them, and then Cher's independent record label dropped her. Oh no! But Atco came back to Cher and said, "Hey, we have an idea, and I'm pretty sure this is a <clears throat> a soul album. I haven't heard it, uh, which." I feel bad about because it is arguably the finest album of her career, according to critics today. So this album was called 3614 Jackson Highway. And Atco wanted Cher to to sing it on the condition that Sonny not produce it. Just Cher. So it, you know, it came out. It was apparently fantastic. I don't think it was a commercial success, but it was exceptional, apparently. And Sonny was furious. And refused to let Cher work with Atco anymore. But my <laughs> wife did something great, but now I'm going to stop Without her. me. Man, I'm Sonny Wow. Bonner. Yeah, so... He's mm, not the birds, is he? Uh, of this period, Cher has said, I loved the new sound of Led Zeppelin, Eric Clapton, the electric guitar-oriented bands. Left to myself, I would have changed with the times because the music really turned me on, but Sonny didn't like it, and that was that. Because he wrote their songs, like he was the business manager. He you know, her second husband makes so much more sense to me now. But go ahead, this is great. Yeah. But that was tumultuous too. Anyway, um, but way hipper on the scene for sure. Come on, let's talk about some current tunes. So that's kind of what was at the heart of their eventual breakup, though that was years away. Uh, also, Sonny had some affairs around this time. Oh no! But uh, also. <laughs> On the one hand, Sonny was cheating. On the other hand, Cher became pregnant. So uh, oh. once uh, Chastity, now Chaz Bono, was born in 1969, they got legally married. Oh, well, good on them. Trying to put that it back Tijuana together. That Tijuana thing didn't it, it wasn't legal. And according to the movie, I'm pretty sure they got married in Vegas, where Cher like, never wanted to be performing with Sonny. Like, the whole... The movie was... Weird. Distressing. <laughs> okay, and so... Why did they name their child Chastity? Why? Funny story. Tell me. Okay, so they couldn't put music on the charts to save their lives at this point. They were increasingly irrelevant in the public mind. They were just flailing. Sure. And so Sonny decided that the way that they could save their careers and their marriage was for him to write a movie starring Cher. Not to go to studios and be like, hey, what great scripts do you have? With like, but he'll just do it for. He'll just do it for. Like this is so. Like he wrote all the songs, and then he's like, ah, you know what? We'll switch to movies. I'll write you a movie. You know, I've never really associated this much uh, toxic masculinity (laughs) with Sonny Bono before. I know, right? (laughs) Couldn't carry carry on, carry on. Okay, so Sonny did not star in it. He did not uh, direct it. Like they brought in an avant garde director or something. Okay, and they made this movie called Chastity, which. They spent, fi- well, sorry, Sonny spent $500,000 on, he mortgaged their house. Oh my God. And when this thing bombed the way that it was probably, probably gonna bomb going to bomb to start with, uh, it left them $190,000 in debt oh, in like no. 1969. No, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, all right. So we've got Sonny 
now in his mid-30s, working his ass off to create a career for his wife, all the while smothering her and creating more and more misery in their relationship. And putting roadblocks in her way of her actually having a fucking career. For sure. Jeez. Like, yes, like just just preventing her from having other, like, get creative, out of my way, man. creative collaborators and, like, wow. any other vision of what Cher could be was not allowable. And he just... So, eventually, he creates this nightclub act. <laughs> of course he does. And apparently, by this point, Cher was miserable. Over it. And, I mean, how happy could he be with his wife? I mean, so they were both pretty remarkably miserable. So, what year is this? This is going to be 1970 or 1971. Okay, so she is mid-20s. Yeah. And he's now hitting midlife crisis. He's 40. I mean, 11 years older, like he's yeah. coming up on that time. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. I wanted to set their ages in my mind as right, the, right. before the deluge. Yeah, and, and I will say, until I started looking at it, I didn't realize he was that much older. I didn't either. Partly because the persona, he was not the dominant character in the act. In the, in the act. Mm-hmm. So, so that was interesting. Anyway, so they take this nightclub act to a nightclub. And start doing it. And like, it was so bad that the Um, audience starts heckling them. And Cher starts heckling back. And Sonny starts like admonishing Cher for heckling the audience. And Cher starts heckling Sonny. And soon the entire room is laughing its ass off. Because it's now turned into a comedy act. Now it's turned into a comedy act. Inadvertently. Yes. Accidentally, this thing ended up being very successful. And TV bookers... Sounds like trashy divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Um, TV bookers took notice. And so soon they're co-hosting for Merv Griffith? Griffin? Merv Griffin, yeah. That guy. Okay. Um, And... Oh my God. Thus, this weird comedy act. Thus did Sonny and Cher survive their career near-death experience. But like these patterns of control... And these fault lines, they I mean, they're, they don't go away. So in 1971, CBS unveiled the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour. Fantastic. And it was a big hit. It was a variety show featuring music and comedy skits. There was a big, like, supporting cast of sure. writer's room, the whole thing. And what typified it was Cher's just deadpan zinging of Sonny all the time. And truth be told, I mean, he didn't write all of the jokes because they had a team of writers, right. but he sort of supervised that process as far as I can tell. And so okay. basically he wrote all of these put downs that Cher was like, it was a very strange thing that was happening. So she couldn't even enjoy the release of, Oh, I get to vent out some of the frustration I feel in yeah, this I, partnership. Yeah. I don't think she, if you're writing what I'm allowed to diss on you for. Yeah. That I, I think, I think that was at the same time, again, huge hit. Nominated for 15 Emmys during its, like, I think, three-year run. Uh, it won one. Holy smokes. And it gave Sonny and Cher a platform to relaunch their music career. And oh. It goes so well, let me tell you. All right, so the marriage was in deep. Because now they've caught up with their clothes. It's the 70s. Yeah. Whew. The marriage was in deep trouble. Um, however, Cap Records signed them, and Sonny wrote, what he thought was a poignant and topical song about Vietnam and had Cher record. <laughs> he was just never quite in step with where things were. So he writes the song he thinks will really like 
land share in the middle of the cultural conversation. And in fact, like radio stations won't even play it because they said it wasn't commercial enough. (laughs) Get in the zone, man. But like Cap had just given them a bunch of money to join the label. So they bring in a guy named Snuff Garrett and he's going to write the Sonny and Cher ship. So he sits down with Cher and I think, I don't know who wrote the song, but I don't think Sonny did. So he has Cher record her first U.S. solo number one single, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. Yeah. Do you know? Okay. Yeah. I listened to this song today. I don't think I've heard this since I was a kid. And really? it's really good. It's a good song. It's a really yeah. good song. It'll be on our website. And this, and it's been hailed as one of the 20th century's greatest songs. Uh, the second single, I guess the B-side of it, was called The Way of Love. That hit number seven. Nice. And then she released an album with Garrett called Foxy Lady. Sonny lost his shit. Gets into it with Garrett until Garrett is like, you know what? Fuck you guys. And he's like, out. out. So Sonny takes the reins again. And so just as Cher was like actually getting successful. Yes. and, And building a creative niche of her own. Sonny's like, you know what you need to do? You need to record an album of standards. So she did. And it flopped. So it turns out that Sonny and Cher had been maintaining the appearance of domestic tranquility since at least 1972. And in February of 74, he filed for separation from her, citing irreconcilable differences. It's over. Cher was not about to let him have the last word, though. Oh, goody. And a week later, she filed for divorce on the grounds of involuntary servitude. What? What? Involuntary servitude? Yeah, slavery. So she said, and this is probably true, that he had withheld earnings from her. He had signed contracts. Probably like, fair. Yeah. Locking her into stuff she didn't want to do. And otherwise, just like he... Controlling he, he her. He was controlling her career yeah. in a way that she didn't want and wasn't being appropriately compensated for. And like the whole thing... Oh, my God. He was incensed because he thought the world would look at that and think Sonny Bono kept share in slavery. Uh, which That's what the world... I think in the I think in the moment that is how she felt. I think she got over that pretty quickly. But yeah, I think right then. Because also I'm not sure when her affair with David Geffen began. <laughs> okay. But there was an affair with David Geffen sure. certainly during the divorce and possibly before okay. the, the 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 movie implies it started before. Like that maybe it was one of the triggering events. Okay. So about the end. All right. For details on the divorce itself, I found a very cool site called blankonblank.org that seems to be defunct now, but had like cool animations that go with profiles of famous people, David Bowie. Okay. Uh, you know. And so for this one, writer Jesse Wright Mendoza was given access to hours of unedited audio from a 1999 interview with Cher by a reporter named Benjamin Svetke. Oh, wow. So overview, the divorce took about a year and a half and the big issues of contention were money, obviously, and custody of Chastity, now Chaz. Uh, Cher eventually won custody. The divorce was finalized in June of 75. Of the divorce, Cher said, I went to him and said, look, break the contract. Let us drop a new contract. Make it 50-50. You can't tell me what to do anymore. I'm 27 years old. 
You can just not tell me what to do, and he wouldn't do it, and he just didn't count on how tough I could be, because I never argued with him. Good on you, I don't think we had more than three arguments in 11 years. Oh, my God. So once the divorce was happening, she said he was crushed because he wasn't going to be Sonny of Sonny and Cher anymore. That's what hurt him. That's what really hurt him, and that was sad, because he loved it more than I did, really, but he wouldn't give me my freedom. So obviously, Cher went on to be Cher. Cher. Her career's had notable ups and downs in the decades since, but she's always had a knack for reinvention and adaptation. And she, you know, went disco when disco was king, and then oh, rock and she's roll a survivor. when rock and roll was king. Resilient. She's made her mark in films like Silkwood. Uh, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Oscar, and she won the Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes for that. Yeah, She was in Mask, The Witches of Eastwick, and perhaps most notably, Moonstruck, one of the best movies ever. She's had genuinely monster hits like If I Could Turn Back Time and Believe, and her voice is undoubtedly one of the most recognizable in the world. Most assuredly. In 2018, she starred in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and contributed covers of two ABBA Abba! Abba! songs for the soundtrack, Fernando and Super Trooper. Oh, I love Fernando. And I love she, that song. I don't know if you knew this, but this is what I'm buying after we finish recording today. Okay, she great. released an album of ABBA covers called Dancing Queen. No way! Which I didn't know about. A hundred percent. hundred percent. In. Basically, at this point in her life... Cher can do whatever the fuck she wants to do, and we're going to goddamn well love it. Yeah, we are. <laughs> done. Done and done. So Sonny struggled for a while after the divorce, but really like just kept keeping on, which is what he does. Like, And the beat goes on. Seriously. Yeah. So he, he tried to launch like a, a similar TV show, but without Cher, and that didn't work. There was a, there was a relaunch of the Sonny and Cher show a few years later. And that, With them divorced? Yeah. And that, oh, okay. It, that didn't work. I think it ran for two seasons. But that didn't work either. He and Cher were on bad terms for a while, but I think within maybe a year or so of the divorce, he opened a restaurant in Palm Springs. Cher attended the opening. Oh, nice. And that sort of... Because, again, they, they had dead Chaz. They, like, and they had all this history. Like, yeah. It's, they warmed back up some, to some degree. They all, she always said that they they just always had a weird relationship, you know, during the marriage, after the marriage. It was just But like once the once the raw wound heals right. of the breakup. Right. And she had married Greg Allman, I think, mm-hmm. at that point. So Sonny did a lot of TV and film work from the seventies forward. He appeared on things like The Love Boat, he was in Airplane Two, uh John Waters' Hairspray. Really? Uh, Lois and Clark, the Superman TV show. Yeah. I didn't know um, he was in Hairspray. Yeah, he was even in an episode of The Golden Girls. Oh, my jeez. One of his interests was apparently opening restaurants. And because of all the red tape he found in Palm Springs, where he lived. I have a new career. He ran for mayor. And he oh won. Yeah, he did. So he was the Republican mayor of Palm Springs for four years. He ran for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in 92. He lost to a more conservative Republican, who Barbara Boxer then stomped. Uh, he was... <laughs> Ultimately elected to the U.S. House in 94, and he served there until January of 1998 when he was killed by a tree Yeah, in a skiing accident in Lake Tahoe. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah, it really, yeah. I mean, yeah, I remember that, and it was sad. His fourth and then current wife, uh, Mary Bono, was appointed to fill his congressional seat, and she apparently did great and continued to be reelected until 2012. Oh, Mm -hmm. super nice. Uh, Interestingly, Palm Springs today yeah 
all of its elected government is gay. Fantastic. Uh, the congressional seat is held by, uh, I think, a Latina Democrat. Oh, my God. Uh, like, it's funny to, like, fast forward. Do you think that Sonny would be a Republican today? I, okay, for Chaz's sake. Let's hope so. Let's hope not. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm, yeah, no, that's exactly right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Let's hope he would have changed his party. It's a, uh, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to imagine. But I don't know. I mean, I he he had some very traditionalist views about the world. Yeah. He had a song called like the Revolution Kind, and the lyrics were very much like. You know, a man can express his opinion without being the revolution. Just very counter counterculture. Interesting. Yeah, and so that's kind of always who he was. Huh. And again, he was his dad was an Italian immigrant, so he was, I think, raised in a very, just with a very traditional mindset about the world. Anyway, so a year after his death, for this um, blank on blank piece, so this is how Cher described their early relationship. Okay. He was like the father. You know how you can be frightened of your father even if he doesn't ever do anything? It wasn't like, I mean, he never hit me. He never even really yelled at me. He could be tough, though. He could just be real tough in that kind of horrible, tough Sicilian way. I couldn't stand on my own two feet and talk back to him. That was my problem. I could just never, ever talk back to him. And so I never got any of my needs met that weren't what he felt they should be. And I think that last bit is key. Interesting. Like he was defining her needs and then trying to meet them without actually consulting with her. Never had her own agency. Yeah. It doesn't sound like she blames him for it. Like she kind of gets that. No, this was this was my my growth path. Right. She. Yeah. And so, yeah, she goes on to say when I was young, it didn't make any difference because I was so crazy about him on so many levels. He was really everything to me. And after I had Chaz, I started to grow up and he wouldn't allow it. Uh, and I was starting to really, he was starting to kill my spirit. So, yeah, that's how Sonny Bono helped launch Cher into the stratosphere, but broke their marriage basically by being overbearing. Yeah, don't marry a spirit killer. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the, like, when you find the right one, like. My guess is that in 64, in the fake Tijuana wedding, um, <laughs> he was not yet a spirit killer. But, like, he really was constantly looking for ways to build her profile. I mean, he said that he created an LLC, basically, to for this. For This was their business. Share was their business. And his business, his, not their, his business mm-hmm. was Share Enterprises. Wow. That was the name of it. Uh, ultimately, you know, he was working with a person and not a product and just couldn't listen. Like, if he were a sculptor and, like... Oh, granite's not really working for me. Let me try marble. Mm-hmm. Oh, marble's not. Maybe bronze casting. Like, that's one thing. But he was sort of doing that with this human being who, at the same time, was his wife. And, like... Yeah. Yeah, just just too much. So, as a trash can rating... I answer Galatea. Go ahead. <laughs> there's really no particular, like, drug use. There's no No, it's no pretty, pretty vanilla. And it seems like they went on to have a weird but warmish relationship. Cher eulogized Sonny beautifully when Mary Bono asked her to after his death. So I give it a two. And um, I will also remind you that you will never get that time back if you do go and watch And the Beat Goes On, the Sonny and Cher story on YouTube. So Sonny and Cher. Stacy, that was tear-free. 
tear free. <laughs> Nobody's getting loaded on too many cocktails. No, that was beautifully done. Nobody's burning a hole in their septum. Well done. My heart is not broken. Nobody escaped across a dark interstate. <laughs> Podcast no tears. A yeah. plus. No, that you was delivered on this week. That was yeah. That was. It was great. It was more fun to research than uh, the last one. Let me just put it Man, that way. That was pretty vanilla. I dig it. I didn't know. So I well honestly, done. I knew very little of it. Like, well done. I just knew the broad brush stuff on that. I'm so glad that Sonny was not an abuser. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would have been devastated. Cher's like nine feet taller than he is. That's just not going to work. It's <laughs> not going to work. Uh, All right. You want to take a break? Let's take a break. When and, we come uh, back. We've got another, we have the happiest divorce couple in the world. Possibly They're not exactly vanilla. They may be chocolate rum marzipan Mm. like their wedding cake. But (laughs) let's take a break and we're going to come back with legitimately the happiest divorce couple that's ever been divorced. Perfect. Do it. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians, Sydney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, you talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Alicia. Stay. Alicia. You got the happiest split in Splitdom? Um, this week. The non scandal of Christendom? Oh my God. The non scandal. Well, it, I, I guess it was. <laughs> there, there was, there is inherently a lot of scandal wrapped up in this. Sure. However, sure. however, 
This week, I bring you the fairy tale romance of the happiest divorce couple in the world, Prince Andrew, Duke of York, and Sarah Ferguson, Aww. Duchess of York. I re- red hair. I remember her from a certain period of the 90s. <laughs> I, I love her. <laughs> I love her. Sarah, our bride, is just a little bit older than, our, than her duke. Oh, she was born October 15th, 1959. She's a Libra. Andrew, born on February 19th. He's a Pisces. Okay. So this is an air and water mix, friends. Okay. What does it mean? Very muggy. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're well matched in enthusiasm, energy, and a desire for a sincere relationship. The good part about this mix is they tend to use their heart and their head together to make good decisions. Which I there, which is which is co- contrary to almost everyone else we've covered. <laughs> That's exactly to get like a part. They are not that great at decision making, but when they're together, they really the air water mix will find that bond, and I think that will become apparent in this tale. You ready? Is that why humidity makes hair frizzy? You are so funny. <laughs> Our Duchess, before she became a Duchess. Mm-hmm. Uh, was born the second daughter of Major Ronald Ferguson and Susan Wright. He retires from the military, this British military, in 1968 when Sarah's about 11 and becomes the horse polo manager for Prince Philip. The pony boy? The pony boy for the Duke of Edinburgh. What? What? Prince Philip, who is Elizabeth's... Who is Elizabeth? The Queen's husband. Correct. The Queen's consort. Holy God. He later becomes the polo, the pony boy. This is a pony boy podcast. To, uh, uh, oh my God. Charles. (laughs) Charles or to Mount Baden? No, to Prince Charles. Okay. Okay. Sorry. But I'm sure he knew Mount Baden (laughs) and Mount Baden said it like, (laughs) pony boy, bring the steeds around. So this connection... (laughs) This connection brings the Ferguson family into the royal circle. Sure. Where Sarah is first introduced to Andrew. They're all like hanging out as kids on the polo fields together on Saturdays because that's what you do. Do you know if any of this happened? I I forget the time period, but like that whole Sandringham, like Diana was playing with the young princes. Correct. Because they were all little kids yeah, together. They're all. Yeah. Was for, was Sarah part of that or was that? Yeah. Okay. Oh. Diana's coming in. Okay. They're friends. Oh, I figured. I mean. Yeah. There's, you're, the story has two, two everything. Two women who don't quite fit the royal household. The story <laughs> has the everything. So Andrew is the third child and the second son of Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. At the time of his birth, he is second in line to the throne. He is now seventh. He is said to kind of be the queen's favorite. There's something charming and fun and a little bit more real about him. And she has a real connection to this kid. Put a pin in that. Something really just the most charming thing I've ever seen the queen do is attached to that. Aww. So flying high in polo circles, like you do. Sarah's mom, in the early 70s, falls in love with a polo player no. named Hector Barantes. Barantes. Mm. And inherits her famous nickname of the Bolter. <laughs> because as soon as Susan and Major signed their divorce papers in 74, Susan hightails it out of town and elopes with Hector to live in Argentina pretty much for the rest of her life. Didn't Diana's mom bolt to Australia yeah. or something? Yeah. Which I, I did not know at the time. I told the story. I apologize. So yeah. 
Wow, what a bolty time. Sarah finds out about her parents' divorce in the newspaper. Because it's a huge scandal. It's hitting the British oh, press. Right, but, but I mean, she hasn't been told about any of... <sighs> oh, God, that stiff upper lip thing. I'm guessing... Right. Well, you, so, you don't you don't talk about problems until they're problems until they're in until they're in the Daily <laughs> until, Mirror. Until, yeah. So Sarah, right in the way awkward teenage years, remains on Dumberdown Farm in Hampshire with her dad and sister. I'm sorry, Dumberdown. 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 That's something in the South. That's what we call all of our farms. <laughs> in 1976, Major Ferguson remarries. Uh, new stepmom, three new children in rapid succession. Wow. So her. Sister hightails it to Argentina. So Sarah's sort of like, eh. So this is really doing a lot for her teenage self-confidence. Wait, which her, is, her sister or her mother? Her mom does, but her sister does too. Oh. So Sarah's oh, left with geez. dad, and stepmom. A bunch of, and a bunch the stepmom's fine. Like, the new kids are fine, but she's like, what the fuck, man? So in your totally self-confident teenage years. Yeah. yeah when you're feeling great about when yourself. When you're feeling great about yourself. Like, poor Sarah. She recalls this is really when comfort food eating becomes a thing. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of other kids of divorce, she thinks the breakup is her fault. Right. Uh, this is also where she begins to build a shell around rejection and, and, and inclusion. Like, she becomes an addict to being accepted and included and liked and part of the... Because, she, right? You get it. It's the childhood that so so like people pleaser kind of absolutely kind of set up. I'm going to okay. do whatever it takes to be liked and accepted. That because, always works, it's which the, will make for some problems always for works. her before working this childhood trauma out. Like sure. hopefully everybody gets a chance to do. But she attends school. The staff describes her as courageous, bubbly, and an outgoing little girl. She excels at swimming and tennis. She's not a great academic student, but finishes a course at the Queen's Secretarial College. And hightails it to London. Not changing any more diapers. <laughs> She's going to work in an art gallery and becomes... No, no more Dumberdown Farms. <laughs> yeah, Dumberdown Farm, out. Hightails it to London. Becomes reconnected with her BFF, Diana. Oh, And enters this little weird phenomenon called the Sloan Rangers. Do you know about the Sloan Rangers? No, tell me. So the Sloan Ranger is a term that was adopted in the mid-70s to describe a stereotypical young middle-upper-class person who pursues a distinctive, fashionable lifestyle. So the term is coined after Sloan Square, this area of Chelsea, where this whole young up-and-comer would kind of live on dad's money and being fashionable is the thing. The, I guess, most equivalent for America would be like the preppy movement in the early Right, 80s. right. And... And I'm guessing these are women who are working, but also sort of shopping for husbands at the time. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, Diana's working in a nursery, for God's sake. Not, that, like there's anything, beings, not no. that there's anything wrong with wanting to get married, Jesus, but I know that it sounds terrible. No, but, but they're all in the polo set. They're very horsey. They yeah. have family money. They have titles I mean, or her father is pony boy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh so Sloan Rangers are like kind of a thing in London culture. That's like really in sixth grade, we all wanted to be Sloan Rangers because that was about the time this was in my world. Okay. As an aside, not only women are in this club, male Rangers are called Hooray Henrys or Ra. <laughs> He's a Ra. It, I just 
the English are amazing. I love them. So Sarah is slowing it up with her friend Diana, moves into public relations, goes to work for a publishing company. She has two fairly significant relationships. The first with Kim Smith Bingham, who is a stockbroker, and then more famously with Patty McNally, who is a motor racing manager 22 years her senior. Can we back up? Yes. <laughs> so I figured we might need to. Sloan Ranger, Sarah Ferguson, Ferguson at this point? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Both of her heterosexual relationships are with a Kim and a Patty. <laughs> a Kim and a Patty. Yes. It's, it's wonderful and I love it. Yes. It's perfect. <laughs> okay. Just checking. You Just got checking it. in. She lives with both men in these relationships. Alleged men. <laughs> <laughs> which you should translate to not a virgin. Sure. Okay. So we know about like the... It would be weird. It be weird if... <laughs> So what is our fair hero up to? Mm-hmm. A little pub trivia for you. Prince Andrew is the first child born to a reigning monarch since the birth of Princess Beatrice in 1857 to Queen Victoria. So Queen Elizabeth that II is... had Charles and Anne well, she was before, a princess. correct, she assumed the dynasty. Fascinating. Right? Which I think that's why there's a little, like, the queen just... He's cheeky and she loves him. Oh, that does make sense. He has a life of being looked after by governesses. And as you know, like, his mom's the queen. So he has an older brother, Charles, a younger brother, Edward, a sister, Anne. He's sent to all the right schools. Natch. (laughs) Really? I'm shocked. (laughs) Right. In 1973, enters Gordonston in northern Scotland, where Prince Philip and Charles went. He leaves with A-levels, but chooses not to go to university, but instead enters the Royal Navy. If you tell me he goes to London to open a joke shop on Diagon Alley, I will be so happy. No, not quite. Close. So close. He enters the Royal Navy. Uh, So he Probably a better choice. He enrolls at the Royal Naval College. He undergoes pilot training. He's accepted as a helicopter pilot. He signs on for for 12 years. Wow. In 1979. So he is committed for 12 years to 1991, making this his career. Wow. Like, dude, he, he flies. He's dashing. He kind of does everything. Like, if it can actually leave the ground and fly, Andrew knows how to do it. He's kind of a badass. All right. So an insertion into the timeline here, just to set the stage. So... May 1979, Royal Navy, he's doing his thing. In 1981, at 21, Andrew is the best man at his brother's wedding. To Charles. Charles and Diana. Diana. So now that the pressure is off Charles, who does the pressure go to? So I want you to think about this for the next part. Also, Diana really wanted Sarah Ferguson as her lady-in-waiting, but that was vetoed by the palace in return for Jane Fellows, I believe. And instead, Sarah was on the front row. Jane Fellows was her sister. Yeah, but Jane Fellows was also married to someone in the palace. No, uh, yeah. yes. Uh, like the, the Queen's personal secretary yes. or something. Yeah, yeah. Charge of papers and pens or something. But I think I it was yeah. Fellows who took Diana to Scotland for her first hangout with Charles. I could be uh, wrong. Well, Diana wants Sarah. Right. Sarah instead is and, in the front yeah. row. And the queen was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Of Westminster with Diana's whole Sloan Ranger crew and her previous flatmates. So. 
Okay, so I guess if you're putting on a royal wedding, you want to hand out those sort of like honorable. Well, especially the, the, for the dynasty, like the sure. first son is like, right. But Andrew and Sarah's wedding, it was a little bit more loose and free form, and oh, a I'm little sure. bit more jovial than the right. pressure of the first dynasty heir. I was gonna say, I mean, Charles was the heir, but but that's kind of what I'm getting at is you. I can see that Diana's sister, the wife of someone yeah, totally on, the, on the palace staff, sure. would would warrant higher consideration than one of Diana's buddies from the Sloan Rangers. <laughs> but I mean, it's cute to and see her daughter on the front of row. daughter of Pony Boy. <laughs> well, hold on, it's going to come back around. <laughs> okay, so picking back up the timeline, in 1982, Andrew also serves in the Falklands War. The palace is freaking out. It's it's the one England won, though. Yeah, so. like, the palace is like, it's fine. He wants to play helicopter pilot. That's cool. Like, go enlist in regular service, but participating in a real war? Nope. Get that kid to a desk job pronto. Oof. The queen insists he stays with the ship, which he does. Good. She steps in and she's like, no. Good. He signed out like, this is what he's going to do, and that's what he's going to do, and back off. I know there was a lot of controversy about sending Harry to Iraq. I don't know how that was ultimately... I don't remember how that was ultimately decided. Yeah, second son. Sure, but um, I know at the time the fear was if the... I think he actually saw, like, some duty. I think think he did. But the fear was that if, you know, the enemy knew, oh, there's a royal in this unit. Well, there... uh, It's tricky. But there was an actual planned assassinate. Like, not assassinate, because he's not a political leader, but... uh, um, I think a it hit counts. on him. I th- yeah, I think it counts. That was not acted upon or carried up, but it was planned. Yeah. Um, okay, so Andrew returns a hero. Sidetracking, sorry. He is also dating a lady at this time named Q Stark. Isn't that oh. a great name? Q Stark. Not real. Not real. Totally real. She's an actress. She's a photographer. Okay. In 1982, they vacation in the Caribbean. Uh, Andrew's antics just endear him to the public. Koo Stark gets an invite to meet the queen and the press gets in on it. And then they start reputing, reporting, reputing, reputing, reporting that Koo Stark had taken part in some pretty racy sex scenes Uh in an R-rated movie in 1976 called Emily. Mm. Andrew broke off the relationship. Buckingham Palace was forced to awkwardly address the meeting. Between the monarch and the actress saying, we do not know if the queen was aware of the girl's acting career before she was invited to Balmoral. Let's go with probably not. Oh, Balmoral. So much has happened there. So according to Lady Colin Campbell, Andrew was in love with Koo and the queen was much taken with the elegant, intelligent and discreet Koo. However, not going to happen in 1983. They split up under pressure from the press paparazzi palace. In 1988, Koo Stark said, the amount of attention and pressure on me became unbearable. It was a nightmare. So to put this in perspective, everyone really likes her. The cycle's all just too much. Charles and Diana are brewing, right? The courtship, the marriage. Koo and Andrew still do remain close. He is even the godfather to her first daughter. Like, I think everyone's just sad about it, but the wheel of pressure. So, pressure's on Andrew. Get married. Yeah, I mean, I I can't blame Koo Stark. He's brokenhearted. He's on the rebound. Pressure's on him. Here we go. Summer 1985. 
Diana reconnects Sarah and Andrew. Oh, nice. She remembers their childhood friends. And Diana suggests to the queen that maybe Sarah can come to Ascot this year. Oh. And the queen's like, Sarah Ferguson, I've loved that kid since she was 10. She is. What a great idea. Effervescent, and she's delightful, and she's just, I mean. And my sweet Andrew's been a little mopey of late. You know, Diana doesn't tell the queen it's a setup. Diana I, just suggests, like. Hey, you know what? The queen is not stupid. Yeah, the queen's not. You're, <laughs> the queen is anything but stupid. Your majesty. That is correct. She is a hundred million years old and, and knows more. She has forgotten more than I will ever know. Wait, so, that's not a good thing to say. Sarah goes to Ascot, <laughs> which we've been by. We have. Uh, and Andrew and Sarah are seated next to each other at a luncheon. He remembers what fun she is. And he's looking to settle down. Not a lot of persuasion here to fall in love. They're both on the rebound. Her from Patty, him from Koo. And this is sort of the beginning of a great romance. She loves his wit and charm. He is knocked out by her. Nice. I mean, I can imagine them having some pretty good SEX. Like, <laughs> just their... Like, the he's called Randy Andy, for God's sakes. Like, he likes the ladies. Sure. And she is a... Yeah. Fiery. Sure. Um. I, ah, okay. So they they connect. They connect like they're made for each other. Okay. They go to an Elton John concert together and they're not spotted. Nice. They go skiing with Charles and Diana together in Switzerland. Okay. Diana allows them to meet secretly at Kensington. Her matchmaking, total success. It's a love match. The queen is delighted. She loves Sarah and her refreshing nature. She great. thinks this is going to be great. <clears throat> Prince Philip is not quite as taken. He does not like her because she knows the name of each and every member of the staff and servants um. and speaks to them, you know, like a normal person and chides her for flirting with the help. Wow. Prince Philip's a dick. I don't like that guy. I feel, yeah. I've learned more about him since starting this podcast <laughs> than I ever knew. And he, he I feel like there's... Can you imagine? I know the staff's name. And I feel say, like he is a dark figure. Hey, Betty, how are you today? Possibly nefarious. Yeah, exactly. How right. was your event like, last oh, night? Oh, thanks for the towel. Thank you Sherry. for asking, like, ma'am. Yeah, like staff and servants are on guard not to communicate. Exactly. They, what's wrong with Hey, Betty? How's it going today? Right. Anyway, makes no difference. They need the Queen's permission, not Prince Philip. Right. Based on the Royal Marriages Act of 1772, which <laughs> yeah, is a recurring theme. As you can imagine, the press begins to stalk her hardcore. They brushed off all their gear from their Diana days. Yeah, the, Go the to hunt. town. Yep. It's hot news. Andrew Smitten, he proposes to Sarah on his 26th birthday. Nice. In February of 1986 in Scotland with a ring he designed just for her with 10 ruby. I'm sorry. Ten diamonds surrounded by a Burmese ruby, knowing ruby is the perfect stone for Sarah, and sets off her hair, and it's a beautiful ring. Okay. Their engagement was announced March 17th, 1986, so St. Patrick's Day, oh. birthday St. Patrick's Day. Nice. The wedding date is announced for July 23rd, 86, and plans are a flutter. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. This wedding and divorce are so well known. So sometimes in trap, like you want to find the story that I'm telling you something that you maybe haven't heard everything about the story. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I have to talk about her dress. 
Okay. The entire country is like a little bit worried. Like we like Fergie. She's a little frumpy, but we like her. But what the hell is she going to wear? Because she's a little frumpy. Her dress is a triumph. She loses about 25 pounds. It fits magnificently. It's a beautiful dress. Sarah uses bumblebees from her family crest and anchors for Andrew's career in the Navy, which are embroidered on the train of the dress. I posted a picture of it earlier this week on social. It's just beautiful. Their initials are embroidered into the train. She has four uh, satin pearl S's for her and an A on the base of the train for his name. These people were super in love, weren't they? So, so I mean, you just in don't, love. No, you don't do that kind of detail it, stuff it, if you're not uh, like. I get chills. This is my favorite. This is my favorite divorce ever. That's incredible. Wink, wink. There's a there's a surprise coming at the end. So designers had learned a little uh, at, from Dye's dress and left tulle, crinoline, anything that could wrinkle out of it, out of Sarah's dress. So she is in satin. So where Diana's dress got crushed after the carriage ride, Sarah emerges like a fucking rock star, right? Like it is beautiful. She also, Sarah, reveals a little switch up trick. So she comes in with a flower um, headband with gardenias and all these flowers that are very poignant to his lineage and her, like, blah, blah, blah. But she signs the actual paperwork. Once the paperwork is signed, where he's invested with the Duke of York and she's the Duchess of York, the veil flips back and there is her York tiara gifted to her by the queen on the occasion of her marriage, which she does get get to keep. After the divorce. Oh, nice. The designer, here's something I didn't know. The designer made two dresses. This is apparently royal protocol for all brides is that two dresses are made. That seems like a smart. I mean, you've got that much attention press, like probably going to do that. Justin, I mean, that is not something where at the last minute you can. Nope. Yeah. When other brides have gone into the two dress thing more recently Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle with their dress for the ceremony is different than their dress for the reception totally fair Sarah gets her backup never uses it right now that dress is in Madame Tussauds nice so you can go see it's exact sure. it's a little waxy now but duplicate <laughs> uh, on their marriage day he was invested with the title of Duke of York she Duchess she is the 11th Duchess of York Long, interesting line there. And I haven't told you that her nickname from the Sloan Ranger crowd for years has been Dutch. Oh, no. you Oh, yeah. no. Because I've always... Fergie. No, Diana so... called her Dutch. It was Diane Dutch. Like, they were the... That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny? That really is funny. Also, the pop star Fergie, I it took me a long time to figure out that was not... They're two distinct people. I think that's true. That That is... I can verify for a fact that is true for you so there are 500 million television viewers Shit. for the event so a little bit less than charles and die sure but but can still you half a billion humans tuned in well and that's just sets that's not counting the clusters of people in homes and bars and whatever yeah no it's it is a joyous half a billion buoyant occasion. Okay, here's the I'm gonna take a pen back out of the Queen and just him being her favorite. Yeah. My very like the this is the best film of the of Queen Elizabeth II ever is she's running after the carriage when they leave. 
Like you get to see her literally skip along like a oh oh not to like get but just just like out of no joy. when they're leaving just, for their honeymoon they're like I don't know chase whatever tradition it is they're doing but here's this queen skipping along like this is about that's she, so lovely it's so lovely they honeymoon for five days off the Azores Islands on the royal yacht Britannia sure sure they did and our couple is couple is gonna live happily ever after. Right. Obviously, that's always how it works in royal couples, as we've demonstrated in our podcast, Trashy Divorces. <laughs> so remember, he's in active duty. Yes. And she works in publishing. Okay. And the press and the palace are not going to let this happen. They're like, you can't continue to have a job. You need to be a, a military wife. Maybe you can do some duties for us, but... You can't work. So he's gone. So what the hell is she supposed to do? Like, he's on active duty. He is gone all the time. For the duration of their marriage, they spend, on average, about 40 days of the year together. Ouch. 40 days. Like, from the start of their marriage? That's, that's no, just No, every how, year. No, no, that's what I mean, but that's just how, like... Yep, every like, year about seven weeks and they're done. Seven weeks together per year with your spouse. May I may I throw in a personal story? Yes. My grandfather and grandmother on my mother's side married on the eve of his going to World War II. Oh, wow. For the next, like, three or four years. Yeah. And their marriage never worked right. <laughs> it's tricky, I mean, right? he would he would get shortly, like, he'd be able to come home a couple weeks a year or whatever. There were breaks in that, but, mm-hmm. but basically the first four years of their marriage, they were not together, and it just never worked right. It seven weeks a year like no matter how strong or intense or deep your connection and how much of a love match it is like military families are pressed i get to see my spouse x amount of like that is fucking tough to do yeah now put the palace the press the pressure of royal engagements like you've got this whole other like you're supposed to be in a fucking PR firm. Right. Married to your husband who's on active duty. So I'm going to do my job and write you letters every day and love you and love the seven weeks we have together. So what does Sarah do? She's going to have some babies and do some royal duties. The couple become parents on August 8th, 1988 with the birth of their daughter, Beatrice Elizabeth Mary. But to back up the bus on that, I always know and celebrate Princess Beatrice's birthday not only because it's one day after mine, but look at the numerology. She's 8-8-1988. It is so cool. Like, I have another friend born on 8-8, but 8-8-1988? I mean, what, incredible. what could be better? I love it. 8 is great. So the couple goes on official tours, and they at least get to spend time together. Their second child, Princess Eugenie, is born March 23rd, 1990. The press is brutal. To Sarah about her baby weight and that sucks. Like, come on. I'm having kids here and get off my ass about how much I weigh and have you seen the damage you're doing to my (sighs) sister-in-law? So he's away and the brutality of the oppress really does turn full mass on her and it's bad. But she's a trooper. She wants love and acceptance. She's a child of divorce, right? Yes, the bolter, yes. But by 1991, the marriage is in trouble, and Sarah is really just kind of unable to deal with her husband's duties because he's gone for so long, and the couple's drifting apart, and I get it, but Andrew's away, and she starts being seen in the company of other men 
like Texas millionaire Steve Wyatt. Isn't he? Isn't his duty over? Isn't his twelve year stint up in ninety one? Yeah. So like he's a, a but it falls apart before yeah. he can come back. Yeah. But not really because hold on, hold on. Okay. So like the press is riling up everything they can in. March of 1992, the couple announced their intention to separate. It's very amicable. Like, they really do love each other, but it's just not working. Charles and Di also announced their separation this year. Right. It was the anus horribilis for the queen, 1992. (laughs) It it was a horrible anus that year. It was, I mean, it was just like it was a bad year. Yeah. Following the separation, the palace announced that Sarah would no longer carry out public engagements on behalf of the queen. And the queen said that she would not take responsibility for Sarah's debts. So they're amicably separated. They're working out terms. They still have two young children. But, you know, things are okay. So August of 1992 rolls around. And there's Sarah, sunbathing topless, on holiday in the south of France Hmm. with John Bryan, who is a financial manager and an American, no less. Uh, Notably not her husband. Okay. Not her husband. Her child is there. There's some toe kissing. Oh. There's some hugging. Hmm. Uh, You're saying there may have been a little bit more where there were not cameras? I... (laughs) Who can say? (laughs) No, these are... You're shooting me from... Oh, I know, I you know. You know, half a mile away, and I think I'm on holiday with right. explicit privacy, and I am separated from my husband, and got right. fuck right off. But, ah, these ten photos are published in the Daily Mirror, and all hell breaks loose. This is the coup de grace. Like, it, it uh, it's too much. These photos come out when the Queen and Prince Philip are on their own holiday at Balmoral, their favorite summer holiday, in Scotland, when it's nice and pleasant. So there's a lot of time to stew about this. Yeah. Prince Philip has never forgiven Sarah for this, for disgracing them. Never, not once. Like, he doesn't seem like a big forgiver. No. Uh, Fergie writes in her memoir, it would be accurate to report that the porridge was getting cold. <sighs> she remembers the morning that the newspapers were delivered, eyes wide and mouths ajar. The adults were flipping through the Daily Mirror and the rest of the tabloids. I had been exposed for what I truly was, worthless, unfit, a national disgrace. Like, she is... And this starts. Like, she's going to have a good... It's good, but it's... Yeah, but but it's... Yeah, it's it's the... This is really a chink in her... The blink moment. um, Maybe there's some things I need to recognize about. Mm -hmm. She didn't get there quite yet, but this is definitely a... So the royal family is scandalized, and they just begin to heap massive amounts of shame princess margaret the queen's sister writes to sarah you have done more to bring shame on this family than could have ever been imagined which i okay (sighs) shit this was podcast no tears yeah well um these photos end all hope at reconciliation except well their separation lasts another four years they're definitely headed for divorce right there's a little con controversy (laughs) about how the details shuffled out they do share custody of their children. Sarah says the palace gave her 15,000 pounds a year in the settlement. Further details say they gave her a lump sum of 3 million. So, like, 3 mil doesn't seem like any really a significant amount of money for a family that has a lot of it. She does lose the Her Royal Highness. She keeps Duchess of York. If she remarries, she would lose that. But why would she? 
because she's in love with her ex-husband and he loves her. And here's where I think it's the greatest and, love story uh, of all time. To be clear, this is something you're pretty sure is true, but is not necessarily... A hundred percent. I believe this with all my heart. Okay. Okay. My research tells me it is. It's your supposition, though. It's not a document. This is a speculation fact. warning. Speculation yeah. warning. Gotcha. Gotcha. The Duke of York speaks fondly of his former wife. We have managed to work together to bring our children up in a way that few others have been able to. And I'm extremely grateful to have been able to do that. In the following years, Andrew and Sarah are both embroiled in some scandals independently. <sighs> Sarah, uh, it's bad. Um, Gets involved in this cash for access scandal and she says to Oprah, hold on. So she authors books and kids books and is a spokesperson and does a show for Oprah that Dr. Phil's on that made a lot of impact because this I, is when she really begins to break down some of those internal structures. Kind of remember that lead this. her to start making better decisions. So yeah. she seems to have found herself. This whole cash for access previous to this intervention was pretty bad. Was this cash for access to the royal family? Yeah, Andrew and the royal family. Oh, well. Again, it's funny because that's apparently not a problem at all in the United States yeah, these days. Yeah, trashy divorces. I gotta stick to the. I gotta stick to the story. But there's so much. She says, "I was so out of control with desperation, where I'd reached the point of no return. There aren't really many words to describe such an act of gross stupidity." Sarah and the palace insisted that Prince Andrew had been unaware. Andrew goes to mom and Prince Andrew helps mitigate some of her debt. And Sarah writes that her daughters are actually grateful. For that entrapment is it saved Sarah from her spiral downward and sort of makes a change in how she begins right, right. making some different decisions. I love her and she's plucky and I think their heart, their head and heart aspect of their relationship did lead to some stupid decisions personally for them. But as a couple, okay, just imagine they're royal. They can't have a normal marriage and hey. Maybe they both want to swing a little. And the press is awful. He's fucking Randy Andy, for God's sakes. And right. she's a fiery hot house. And right. they really love each other. And how do we maybe make a compromise to make this work? The Duchess continues to live at the Duke's home, Sunning Hill Park, until 2004, when he goes to the Royal Lodge. Sarah, in 2007, purchases Dolphin House next door to the Royal Lodge. That house catches fire. She moves into the Royal Lodge. So they have been living together as long as they've ever been divorced. Sorry, are you accusing Sarah of arson of no. the Dolphin Lodge? No. No. <laughs> I was joking, but I I no. love your... No. That is two hands held high with no. a no. What okay. I'm saying is they got divorced and they have lived together consecutively since they have been married. Sure. Except since for when they weren't been married, divorced, when they yeah. only spent seven weeks. Right. Since they've been divorced, they've been married, for God's sakes. Right. Which it, is one way to really cut out the in-laws from running your life. You... Ain't it's the smartest. You're not the boss of me. Not the boss of me. Queen. I mean, you're the queen. I don't want to do royal engagements. I don't want the press to be on me because I wore leggings to go get fucking milk from the grocery store. Right. Get off my ass. Like, okay. I mean, in 2015, Sarah assumes uh, residence in Switzerland. She and the Duke of York own a 13 million dollar or 13 million pound chalet there together. 
She applies for Swiss residency. She maintains an apartment in Eaton Square, London, and a room at Andrew's house at Royal Lodge. It's crazy. Since the divorce, Sarah does attend some functions with her daughters, such as the investitures of Duke of York into the Royal Victorian Order, Order of the Garter, and Royal Ascot. On these occasions, she is afforded the courtesy of treatment as a member of the royal family. In the Diamond Jubilee guidelines, they mention her as being a member of the royal family. Sarah even hinted in uh, 2013, like she hints at the idea of remarrying him in interviews. Interesting. Mm -hmm. In August 2013, Sarah is invited to stay at Balmoral with Prince Andrew and their daughters as guests of the Queen. In September 2013, in response to a question about the possibility of remarrying Andrew, she says, he's still my handsome prince. He'll always be my handsome prince. Okay, that's really sweet. She was, Sarah was not invited to the 2011 wedding of William and Catherine, but does attend the wedding of Harry and Meghan Markle. She does not get an invitation to the later party by Charles. (sighs) Apparently she's deeply upset by that, but. She gets it. She's divorced from the family, but not divorced from him. Right. Like, she doesn't spend Christmas with her girls for 15 years because they're at Balmoral in Scotland with the queen. Like, she has definitely made a trade-off for this arrangement. Uh, The queen, tolerant as she is, eventually (laughs) mends her relationship with Sarah. Like, Sarah talks really fondly of the queen. Um, She's steadfast to her. She's known the queen since she was 10 and has... Sort of apollo, like I right. Like, they they've gone on this journey together. They've gone on this journey together. Yeah. She's older. She's wiser. Eugenie's wedding to Jack Brooks Bank last year, October of 2018, kind of brings it all back around. Sarah is the highlight of the day. Really? Yeah. Like because there she's the mother of the bride. Oh, this is at Windsor. Okay. Right? Of, like, I'm like I. Who is Eugenie? Of course, their daughter. Great. Fergie. Ah, uh, oh, I love this brings the same Milano Blahnik bag to Eugenie's wedding that her mother, the Bolter, uh-huh. brought to Sarah's wedding. And in that bag, her mom passed away in 98. Uh, a car, maybe a car accident? It's bad. But uh, her mom had been gone a long time, but I guess she got some of her mom's things. Sure. So when she goes to that bag, looking through, she finds the admission tickets to her own wedding in it, which are also of the the color green. So green right. bag, green tickets. That's Aww. why Sarah decided to wear green that day to the wedding. I love vintage bags. And it's just so <laughs> I know cool. You do. <laughs> um, she and Andrew are just present this very united front and they're as happy as ever. And I just, I, this is my favorite trashy divorce. I think this couple has found a way to live their best life with each other. And they really are a love match and good for those crazy divorced kids. The happiest divorced couple around. I love them. Wow. Podcast Almost No Tears. I love her. Does this have a trash can rating? Or you came up with something different for Margaret Mitchell. Like Halos? Was it Halos? No. I mean, nobody... <sighs> there's some trash. I mean, there's a little I bit have, of trash here. I have but... left out a number of other... But toe-sucking. Sure. Yeah. On, on the um, South But they're French. still... To, like, I don't know... We got to give it a something because otherwise it'd be a wash and we wouldn't put it on the. Sounds like it can't go above a two. It doesn't. One and a half. Okay. Like I, I love them. 
they're my favorite divorce couple in the world because they're still together. Right. I mean, that's what's... And, and again, and they've with, just found a way to... You know what? No fucking judgment. Don't pass your judgment on a relationship. We can have the relationship yeah. that we want to have. Again, listeners, this is all speculation. I do sure. not know if this is true at all, but sure. it just... Okay, many of you feel the same way. I know you do because we have talked about it. Like, yeah. it's a thing. We're all rooting for them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I don't know if they'll ever get married. Well, again. but so sort of the inverse, like imagine that Sonny and Cher had remained married. Mm-hmm. Um, Cher's career would not have gone in the direction it did. And it seems likely that Sonny Bono would never have gone to Congress because she right. wouldn't have... I mean, Cher's a big, like, gay rights activist. Mm-hmm. She was not going to let her husband run as a Republican for anything. Fuck. But but divorced, she could be completely supportive of her ex-husband running for Congress as whatever he wants to be. That's Sarah and Andrew. Yeah. You I mean, what? that's... It's, yeah. We can support each other, but, like, the pressure yeah. is We We can off. only be who we are separately. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were actually separate, unlike, yeah. potentially. So they've been happily in love been, and living together since their divorce they've been happily unmarried for a few decades now uh, it's it, it's the it's the most amazing love story ever that's cool that's very cool so there's a trashy divorces with a twist i hope that the story you have told is close to the true like actual thing that's happening in their think. lives it's that would dream. be beautiful it's our dream it's yep. my dream yeah i really i mean speculation morning but I would love it if the story yeah. really was exactly what I think the story is. No, that it is. would be beautiful. I, I hope anyway. it is. I hope it is. So there is our episode 11, Trashy Divorces, Redemption Week. No hard liquor needed. <laughs> no Kleenex needed. Except for the host. Well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Keep it trashy. Keep it trashy. Although it doesn't, our subjects didn't, so... Maybe you don't have to either. Toe sucking in the Keep Riviera. it trashy. Yeah, come on. I mean, it's credit where credit's due. Keep it a little trashy. Right. Cheers, friends. See you next week. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear want to advertise with us reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information and last but not least come play with us on social media i keep most of our trashy divorces instagram hopping stacy and i share it up over on facebook including our trashy divorces podcast discussion group come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening keep it trashy y'all